Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And the thing I want to talk to you about today is the relationship between Europe's communist parties in the 1930s and the Spanish Civil War. If there was one issue that um, captivated the left in the 1930s more than any other, it was probably the question of Spain. But that issue in itself was intimately linked to the fears and anxieties that the international left had over the emergence of uh, the Nazi regime in Germany. Um, the, the left is uh, defined uh, in the 1930s by left, I mean really, the communist and socialist parties, revolutionary parties of Europe, in Western democracies, uh, Great Britain, uh, France, um, and uh, other um, democratic countries. They, their defining feature in, after 1933 is that of agents of anti-fascist struggle. And, but obviously there's a huge complicating factor in all of this, and that is the position of Stalin and Comintern. By the early 1930s, the Soviets were convinced that Germany was the next country that would fall to um, communism. That a communist revolution was right there. It had the largest communist party in the world, with the exception of uh, the Soviet Union. It had uh, six um, million votes uh, were cast for the communists in the 1932 November election. And that was the election where, of course, the vote count for the Nazis started to decline, obviously worrying Hitler. And there was a, a fear that the um, on the part of Hitler and his fellow travellers that the, the kind of the the moment the Nazi moment had passed and there's a lot of demographic and uh, cephalogical evidence that suggests that that may have actually been the case that a kind of a, essentially a mad scramble to have him appointed as Chancellor by January 1933 and the uh, possibility that as the Nazi moment passed, perhaps uh, Germany was facing a, a communist one. It was acutely anxious. It was acute anxiety to Germany's bourgeoisie at the time. 
But ironically, Germany's middle classes and Eden have worried. Um, their knight in shining armour was, curiously, Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin uh, argued that the German KPD, the German Communist Party, should look upon the SPD as what he referred to as social fascists. He um, said that the uh, the SPD as um, uh, moderate non-revolutionary socialists were more dangerous than any fascist movement because they really are the means by which capitalism perpetuates itself. When capitalism runs into a crisis, it has social democracy to help to kind of ameliorate the the rough edges of the crisis and actually prevent revolution and thus perpetuate the capitalist system for time immemorial. And he said, well, they're the the much bigger problem. We've got to focus on them. Um, Which was, for Stalin, you know, considering the consequences for the Soviet Union of Nazism, a catastrophic blunder. The Social Democrats in the 1932 election had 7.2 million votes, and the Nazis had 11.7 million, so you can do the mathematics yourself. A Social Democratic and Communist um, Popular Front Alliance would have beaten the Nazis hands down. So Hitler has a lot to thank Stalin for in his... uh, appointment of Chancellor in January the 30th, 1933. One of Stalin's um, best sources of information, not that he listened to him very much, uh, in Germany, was Georgi uh, Dimitrov, who was a Comintern agent. He founded the Bulgarian Communist Party, and he was one of the four German communists, or members of the KPD, who were placed on trial uh, in September 1933, for the um, part that for being involved in the burning down of the the Reichstag, amazingly they're actually acquitted, and the fact that they're acquitted tells you a lot about how slowly um, the structures of um, the formal legal system um, were compromised or dismantled by the Nazis. Um, it takes quite a while, really. Uh, for Germany's pre-existing legal system and the rule of law to be fully undermined. Dimitrov makes it back to Moscow and tells Stalin this um, class-against-class business, this social fascists accusation, um, it's really damaging and you've got to stop it. Um, it's part of the reason why Hitler's come to, come to power. Stalin obviously ignores this um, and there is a, a fierce debate against the, the, the Seventh World Congress of Comintern. Um, and it's not a debate anyone's got stomach for. There is a sense that um, s- tensions within the Soviet Union are becoming irreconcilable um, following um, the uh, disastrous... Um, uh, disastrous collectivization campaign in Ukraine and Stalin's need really to um, for, for an, an outlet to the, the kind of the, the criticism of the regime that he encounters the following year in 1934 uh, the, the Congress of the Victors but in essence uh, Dimitrov called for a united front and this is the beginnings of uh, a, a united front policies um, across Europe uh, that are eventually encouraged by the Soviet Union and would be encouraged in Spain, which is where this is all leading, um, 
and Stalin is able, perhaps privately, to reflect on the folly of encouraging um, the uh, communists to attack the social democrats. Um, and but you know this is it's all too late. Hitler is in power, and you have, Stalin realizes he has a violently anti-communist um, leader on his um, on his his doorstep in essence. The only country that stands between the two of them is Poland, um, a country, if anything, Stalin trusts even less than Nazi Germany. In both Britain and France, the um, liberal um, democratic socialist parties and the revolutionary anti-democratic socialist parties had been busy making um, popular fronts uh, of their own. Um, the... Um, Emergence in Britain of Oswald Mosley and his British Union and Fascists, um, whom I am delighted to say, 80 years ago today, um, the working classes and the Jewish emigres of the East End stood up to in the Battle of Cable Street and managed to essentially... Um, fight um, on the streets the fascist movement and outnumbered them about 30 times over. Um, there were 100,000 uh, protesters in the East End who met out, who came out to meet 2,500 black shirts marching. So the emergence of fascism in both Britain and France, in France you have the Action Française, galvanises local responses and the uh, popular fronts develop and hold quite effectively throughout the period. And you have to remember in Britain as well, after um, 1931, the, the beginnings of the national government and the fracture of the Labour Party, um, the Labour Democratic Parliamentary Left is in disarray and there's very little chance of any resistance from fascism coming from that avenue. The uh, Labour is in, engaged in a bitter fratricidal uh, civil war. So it was the Communist Party that waged the kind of the street war against Oswald Mosley in disrupting his meetings, um, particularly at the infamous um, Olympia um, conference, convention in 1934, when the violence of the black shirts was first really became a kind of a public uh, hue and cry. And if you want to know more about Mosley and the black shirts, I did do a podcast probably a year or two ago now uh, on him, and you can find that in the, the kind of the podcast archive. So it was a it was a great many British communists who found their way um, also to Spain. They kind of they cut their teeth on the um, uh, on the uh, struggles against fascism domestically and the uh, uh, fights with the, the black shirts. And Spain was the, the next obvious place um, to go. They, there was a, a widespread and probably quite accurate view that parliamentary democracies across Europe were doing nothing to prevent the spread of fascism or were far more interested in containing communism. And therefore, the uh, responsibility to defeat fascism um, fell to the working class. And it was uh, working class trade union members and anti-fascists who made their way to Spain 
in large numbers. But they weren't exclusively um, working class. Um, there were a number of middle class and even some upper class um, British anti-fascists um, who, um, who went, but mainly they were young working class men. And you can uh, read and hear more about this. I did a podcast on the International Brigades, the British Battalion of the International Brigade, um, again, some time ago, um, uh, based on the, the excellent book by Richard Baxall, Unlikely, Unlikely Warriors, which is uh, well worth a read. It seems that one of Stalin's key interests with Spain um, wasn't so much to win an outright victory. I mean, Richard J. Evans um, put forward the theory that um, one of the Hitler's anxiety was that um, there would be to the west of him a popular front or socialist France. There was a popular front government there in 1936, and a popular front or socialist Spain south of that. Thus, his um, policies towards the east of invasion and eventually the colonisation of the Soviet Union would be stymied by this threat to his flank. So it was worthwhile um, fermenting a, a, a fascist counter-revolution in Spain in order to make sure that any threat from a socialist France would be uh, countered by uh, an, an allied fascist Spain. This is perhaps the case. Um, Stalin thought that one of the best ways to deal with Hitler would be to draw Hitler into the kind of protracted uh, guerrilla war in Spain that had devoured Napoleon's armies um, and that had uh, sort of sucked the energy and the, the, the lifeblood out of, um, out of Napoleon. And this could quite possibly um, have been the way it, it played out uh, to uh, give Hitler um, his own, essentially, Vietnam. But he didn't. Um, the, uh, for, the, for, the, for a maddening period of time, luck appears to be on Hitler's side in a, a, a number of uh, uh, issues, and Spain is one of them. Spain is a, uh, an ideal place for testing out. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, the new uh, weapons of Blitzkrieg, uh, fighter and bomber aircraft, uh, tanks, uh, armoured support, and, and other, um, you know, uh, other various tools of, of modern warfare. And the Republic and the Republic's defenders from uh, overseas uh, are um, unfortunately unable to contend with the combined might not only of the uh, the uh, the general, Spanish generals and Nazi Germany, but with huge numbers of troops uh, sent from fascist Italy. Um, we often focus on 
Hitler's contribution to uh, with the Condor Legion um, to Spain, but it's dwarfed by the number of troops um, sent by by Italy. For those um, British people that didn't go to Spain, um, Spain nonetheless becomes a kind of a, a romantic and rather totemic uh, issue of the times. Um, Baroness Athol, um, the uh, uh, British uh, member of the House of Lords, um, uh, launches a magazine called uh, Spotlight on Spain, uh, in which uh, each week the kind of the what she viewed as the seemingly forgotten conflict in Spain was uh, brought to the fore. Um, if you look at the national and regional newspapers in in Britain, most of them. Um, seem to have stopped short of actually praising Franco, but the, but they focus their reportage on criticising um, the Republic. I mean, the Republic is seems this kind of anti-democratic, um, sort of really sort of fifth column, uh, this cipher for um, Stalinism, which it certainly wasn't. But within the communist movements of um, Europe, particularly if you look at the Communist Party of Great Britain, uh, divisions that open up within Spain between the various competing factions of the Spanish left um, really animate discourse. Um, the uh, George Orwell, in his uh, Homage to Catalonia, is um, very sympathetic towards the anarchists of the PUM, the Partido Obrero de Unificacio Marxismo, um, or the Workers' um, Marxist Unification Party. Um, the PUM are, um, were suppressed by the communists, um, communists uh, who eventually um, take control fully of the international brigades um, and the, um, the, the, the fight um, for the republic. And this is in large part because the international brigades were essentially organised by Comintern in the first place anyway. They were the forces that Comintern believed it could get away with sending uh, without uh, an, an open invitation to war. So you know, it, it was easier to send a, an international brigade than, or to organise international brigades of volunteers uh, than it was to actually send Soviet troops. Um, the... Uh, the British Party, British Communist Party, um, accused for the, the rest of its existence, the British Communist Party accused the PUM of being um, fascists or in the pay of the fascists, which is nonsense. Um, and the um, or, um, Trotskyite, um, uh, Trotskyite sort of um, sectarians who, um, if they hadn't actually been in direct pay of the fascists, they may as well have been, because the, the result was essentially similar. They had split the communist movement and caused all, all this sort of suffering and misery. And the, the thinking later on, uh, again, probably nonsense, um, was if it hadn't have been for the Poom, well, the Republic might well have stood. And it, it, was, it was all their fault. Um, and the this this was a way of when the um, the British and other international brigades returned home. Um, this was a way of 
retelling the story to themselves of the uh, struggle of the international brigades and, and finding justifications for for the uh, the defeat. Um, in 1938, Franco uh, finally uh, splits the Republic in two, and the the British battalion really start to kind of uh, return. By then, it's it's, it's clear that the, the the war has has been lost. But by 1938, actually, um, Stalin is uh, anxious for the war to continue for a little while longer. He knows that fascism will win. Um, and he wanted the international brigades to stay there. Um, he could see that the um, the issue was no longer Spain. Um, it was the safety of the Soviet Union itself. Um, Stalin needed Hitler to continue being engaged in Spain, um, and to and fascism to continue fighting there, because Stalin could see, um, in his view, um, that Hitler's eyes turning. Uh, eastwards, and he needed time to be armed, particularly as Stalin had murdered um, a large number of his generals in 1938, um, and had devastated his army all the way down to uh, sort of junior officer level. Um, there were huge numbers of colonels, brigadiers, divisional commanders, all that sort of thing, all all gone, uh, and he uh, also. Um, uh, stripped out the air force of, of most of its talent. It's one of the reasons why in the first few days of Barbarossa all the aircraft are on the ground uh, because there's uh, nobody commanding air fleets to, to get them in the air to, to protect them. But so Stalin knows that he's woefully under, underprepared for war. Um, and the fact that in that year Chamberlain, Mussolini, Deladier and Hitler um, carve up um, Czechoslovakia and the Munich Agreement, um, obviously without the uh, telling the Czechs, um, and more importantly to Stalin, without inviting the Soviet Union to have a say on the subject. Um, in Stalin's eyes, this meant that um, the Western democracies were already making their deal with Hitler. They were giving him Czechoslovakia and they would no doubt give him the Soviet Union in due course. And this fits in nicely with Stalin's worldview, the kind of the Marxist-Leninist worldview, about what fascism actually is, and um, the, the worldview of um, um, Stalin. Um, the fascism is simply liberal capitalism's attack dog once um, a, the, there is a threat of communism liberal um, capitalism has to kind of create fascism in order to guard itself in order, or in order to sort of set it on the workers revolution uh, and therefore it made sense that um, an attack by fascism would be inevitable and a deal between fascism and liberal um, democratic capitalism would also be inevitable. I mean Stalin was right that an attack on the Soviet Union was largely inevitable but he the thing he never really factored in was that Hitler was looking things, looking at things not from um, that particular standpoint, but from a racial one. That um, Hitler was wanting to bring a racial war to the Soviet Union, and again that would cloud Stalin's misjudgment judgments and lead to all sorts of miscalculations with Hitler and later on. One indication of Stalin's um, change of heart and Stalin's kind of uh, understanding of the threats to the Soviet Union is the abandonment of uh, 
class against class and the um, decision by Comintern to allow local parties um, in Europe to um, have some have greater autonomy. The um, British Communist Party um, certainly experienced that in the um, later 1930s and was not constantly um, taking rigid directives from Moscow. However, one tradition of the European Communist Parties that did endure, and this was probably non-negotiable, was the uh, anti-Trotskyite um, standpoint of the Soviet Union that becomes almost a, a kind of a hysteria with some European Communist Parties. The, uh, the Spanish um, Communist Parties um, viewed the PUM as um, Trotskyite, um, uh, Trotskyite infiltrators and enemies, and there's this, all this kind of rubbish about trying to conflate Trotskyism with fascism, which is, again, totally ridiculous. Um, but something that was done at the time, I mean, we're constantly bombarded today with uh, political parties trying to paint others as extremists when, you know, really this isn't, isn't the case, or trying to suggest that uh, they're extremists in ways that certainly they would never, never function. So it's not a new thing. And the British Communist Party was fairly obsessed with Trotsky as well. I mean, the irony is, of course, that um, in the decade before his death in 1940, Trotsky is this marginal figure. He is uh, increasingly impoverished. His entourage, wherever he is, in Turkey, France, Spain, or later Mexico, shrinks around him. Um, he's increasingly overlooked uh, and his funds himself really through um, publishing and journalism. He has a, 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 uh, his network of friends and relations in the Soviet Union are all uh, purged and murdered. Um, he's a, uh, a more harmless figure uh, to the Soviet Union you'd be struggling to look for, uh, but he is a, seems to cast this terrifically long shadow in Stalin's eyes. But British communists uh, embraced, and uh, really for the rest of the life of the party, wholeheartedly embraced um, anti-Trotskyism and placed the ills of the Soviet Union at Trotsky's door. And you'd find that um, Trotskyists within the uh, British um, left-wing um, movements, um, the various Trotskyite parties that, that emerged, had uh, an equally obsessive hatred of Stalinists. And this, this schism has run through uh, the, um, uh, the revolutionary left in uh, Britain uh, for much of the rest of the 20th century. Um, in no small part explains why they're generally viewed as, in, uh, as kind of irrelevances um, by mainstream political discourse. It's various kind of obscurantist uh, bickering uh, that seems to have no relevance to anything at all. Anyway, that's as, as may be. Um, so um, I hope you found this interesting. And really the, the, the point is, I think that when we're thinking about the left in Europe in the 1930s, the um, the issue of Spain is really absolutely at the heart of everything from 1936 onwards that they're really um, considering. And the reason why is because 
the fate of, on the fate of Spain, as they see it, hangs the fate of the world. Certainly, the the fate of the future of socialism, because if Spain falls, Hitler triumphs, and after that, um, the, um, the the left is in great peril. Obviously, the uh, from the perspective of um, socialist parties and communist parties in Europe, they believe that the rise of Hitler was directly about them, and that they were the number one. Uh, they were the number one um, victims or the number one targets uh, of Nazism, and they, they kind of weren't wrong in that regard. Except obviously, the number one target would be Europe's Jews. Anyway, thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and three hundred sixty-five day returns. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.